Hi guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan. Today is another fantastic day for an interview. Yeah. I've got Camille Kinsler with me. Not only has she got the most beautiful German name that some of you will struggle to pronounce. Yeah, that's us Germans. It's just, I love that word, Kinsler. Uh, and having said that, she is not just cool because she has got a cool name. She's also quite cool because she's a fellow traveler. Um, she is a, a, a fellow um, person who is interested in helping people out there who are not quite yet addicted to alcohol. And that concept of not quite yet there is such an important one. So I'm dead excited to discuss that with you today, Camille. Thank you so much for coming on to my show. Absolutely, Stephen. I'm so excited to be here and see where this goes. <laughs> exactly. And and we were just prior to this this recording, we, we bunted a bit around and, and had a chat. And I loved the, the fact that you're working with women that are not, no, 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 they're not addicted to alcohol, no, but they are sober curious. Um, they are, they wonder how it would feel like if they would not drink two bottles of wine before the kids come home. <laughs> okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit there, but hey, <laughs> the reality, what I'm pointing or what I'm leading up to is 95% of the people out there who drink far too much would absolutely deny having any problem whatsoever. So therefore, that is, uh, you know, one in three. Uh, we've got the incidence of chemical addiction out there. One in three, that's a hell of a lot of people. Uh, with alcohol, I would say at least one in five uh, that are out there with dangerous drinking behaviors, either massive binge drinking or, or actually the ongoing numbing of pain, etc. So, hell, there's so many people out there, but so few people who are at the point of recognizing that enough is enough. So it's lovely to see that you are not waiting with the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, but that you're actually standing on, on, on the top of the cliff and saying, guys, do you really want to jump? <laughs> so I love your work. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's where I was. I love this idea. I don't know if you've heard of it, but the gray area drinker. Uh -huh. So you have the spectrum, you have one end, the teetotaler, and then on the other end, you have somebody who needs to drink alcohol to get their day going in the morning. And then you have all the people in between who are using alcohol in some manner and don't consider themselves a teetotaler, but definitely don't consider themselves uh, with acute alcoholism. And so they're in the middle and they're looking around going, but I try to quit. I mean, I try to, you know, only drink my one cocktail a night and that ends up being three, or I try not to drink on a weekday. And then by Tuesday I'm giving in and, and they say, but I don't fit into this scenario. I don't fit into what society has told me of somebody who has a problem. I have, I take care of my kids. I uh -huh. haven't had a DUI. It's all of those things. So you're basically like skating along the bottom without actually hitting it. <laughs> and that's where I noticed I was for years, for years. 
and it just increases, right? Because that's what happens when you drink alcohol because it's addictive. You just, all of a sudden you're like, how did I end up drinking a bottle or more of wine a night when, you know, four or five years ago, I could only drink three. <laughs> so true, so true. How was your, how were your early years? Was alcohol around uh, you all the time? Oh, when I was a kid? Mm -hmm. So my dad, uh, my mom rarely drank, but my dad uh, drank every night at 5 p.m. He would come home when he wasn't on call. He was a pediatrician. He, he, he's still alive, but he's retired. Um, yeah, at 5 o'clock, his Jack Daniels. And uh, I loved my dad. My dad is amazing, sweetest bear in the world. But at 5 p.m., just this little shimmer in his blue eyes just dulled. And, you know, a lot of um, issues with my fighting between my parents during those years where I have to break up their fights at, you know, in the middle of in the, you know, nine or 10 at night. And, um, and that was, that was a huge challenge. And I always told myself that I would never drink when I got older. And I didn't actually until I was 18, you know, had a pretty harsh breakup for my uh, high school days. And then, um, And then, and then started drinking, but that was my, that was my boundary. I think we all have these boundaries and we don't really recognize that we cross them until we have a moment of, of introspective introspection and reflection. And I noticed that when I had kids, I started uh, drinking more, the more kids I had, luckily I had two. Um, and, and I noticed that I crossed that boundary. I was bringing alcohol into the home. So I was repeating a pattern um, that I told myself my whole life that I would never do. So yeah, so alcohol is in, in my world. My grandparents drank. It was at the dinner table. We sell, I, I always like to say my whole life for, the, for a couple decades, but even when I was a child, was punctuated by, by booze. And, yeah. and in all fairness, this is a time i mean camille we are probably pretty much the same age um so i i was born 1966 and when i was younger alcohol was part and parcel of life smoking was still part and parcel of life uh, it was it was normal to have a sip of of wine or sip of beer when you're with your parents somewhere it was all just normal And luckily, uh, we were in a culture where alcohol was actually normalized. And when I say lucky, there was not this kind of, of massive binge drinking because alcohol will be now closed off like in the UK, 11 o'clock, uh, that's it, no more drinks or so. No, alcohol was freely available. So therefore, it, it was kind of legalized, so to speak, and, and there, was no, there was no urgency. Uh, on it, but it was actually deemed to be a positive kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Having said that, of course, uh, some of us are behaving or are responding differently to the molecule alcohol when it comes into our system. Me personally, I'm a super responder. In other words, when I get some alcohol, oh boy, my dopamine levels go massively high, much higher than maybe some of you yours uh, out there. So therefore, for me, I was a sitting duck because of my genetics to become an alcoholic, to rely on alcohol as such. Was there such an experience with you? What was the alcohol doing to you when yeah. you were drinking at 18, 19? 
So I always knew that I drank differently or more than other people, um, even at an earlier age. But I just found the people who drank. <laughs> and so at that point, then I was just part of, you know, part of the, 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 I hung out with the boys, the big boys, right, that could take shots and handle it. And so I would do that with them. And, um, and I was always lucky, quote unquote, in a way where um, I was able because of my genetics too. I'm a, I'm a small girl, I'm five feet tall, but I can drink a lot of people under the table and manage, it. Um, you know, the whole thing, like grow up and then get back to it um, uh, in my earlier days. Um, yeah, so I always knew that it was a little, uh, a little bit different than other people. And, but of course I didn't recognize it as a problem because I didn't fit the stereotypical person who has a problem, right? I was like my dad. I was very, you know, I was studying medicine. I was, um, you know, doing all, checking all the boxes. I was getting up at seven, eight in the morning. I was doing the things I was supposed to do to be a good person in society. Um, yeah. And the thing is, is that alcohol, like in my life with when I was growing up, my mom really was upset with my dad for his drinking. So we, like I experienced Al-Anon. Um, we went to Al-Anon as a family. My dad wouldn't ever go. He never went to AA or participate in any of these things. But, but I learned about this vocabulary really early on too. I saw the movies like Leaving Las Vegas. I was like, that doesn't fit me. And I feel like that is what's so important. Why I do my work is because we don't fit that scenario. 95% of people don't fit that scenario. But we have to be brave to come out and say, hey, who sold me on this? Who sold so me true. on the fact that I need alcohol to live, to have fun, to socialize, to connect, to relax? Mm. Before, before we go there, because you've just nailed it, who sold me on that? We'll come to that big time. Um, but uh, before that, I wanted to lose my marbles and forgot now what I wanted to say. See, yeah. there's one example where we do a quick... Because <laughs> I've completely forgotten. You you triggered you triggered simultaneously two important things that I wanted to highlight. And I'll, what was the one thing? So you said, what did you say? You said, um, not if, oh, that's right, high functioning alcoholic. So okay, I'm back where where I needed to be. And you're so right, Camille. When it comes to the 95% of people out there who don't fit the stereotype, well, these are what I've called in my book, the high-functioning alcoholics. So I wrote this book, My Steps to Sobriety, and if you guys want to know a little bit more about it, just go out there, get it, because there are heaps of information about alcohol use disorder, as we call it nowadays, what the alcohol does to you, but also heaps of management plans, heaps of, of action plans at the various stages of, of where you can be from, from still broken down and out to starting to, to put the pieces back together. But one of the chapters in there is called the high-functioning alcoholic. And that's exactly those people that you have just described to me. These are the people who have not yet got uh, a ticket for drunken and uh, driving under influence. They are still holding a job. 
they are still married. They are still, and when I say still, they are they are hovering there just over the brink. They are sort of leaning forward over the abyss and see, uh, when will I lose balance? When will I lose balance? And yeah, nothing has happened yet. And that's exactly where I was. That's exactly the person I was. Uh, for most of my drinking career, towards the end of my drinking career, I was in free fall. And it was just a matter of time until I would have been dead, losing my job, being in jail, because sooner or later I would have I would have fucked up. And that is unfortunately the risk. This is not the alcoholism is dynamic. It is not it is okay for a long period of time. The great drinkers, the, the, as you have described them, the high functioning alcoholics as I do describe them, it's the same the same group of people we are talking about. Yeah. And so how do you recognize a great drinker? What yeah, are your what are your recognition triggers? Yeah, I don't recognize them at all. So it's just like what uh, a person who says that they're an alcoholic or not or has a problem with alcohol, what they say is what I believe. And uh, so if they come in and they say, I don't have a problem with alcohol, or this is this is the big one, right? I want to drink normally. So I said, great, you want to drink normally. Well, let's look at all these other things in your life that we can you maybe beef up and make better and you can uh -huh. feel more empowered and, and all of that. And then we can talk about the, what normal drinking looks like. Nice. And, um, and, you know, alcohol is the, the, the triple whammy. This is why we say it's a triple whammy. It's addictive. It's habitual and it's ritualistic. And so even if you want to cut it back, do all the programs, moderate, if you drink, you're going to start drinking again. And more than likely, you're going to get back to where you were before because we use it for the same reasons, the same time of day, for the same emotions. And it's chemical substance is addictive. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not exactly sure what, what specifically you're talking about. Oh, how do I recognize that? Yeah. So really, I mean, I can have all these bells and whistles and I can do, you know, what I, what I say is where I think they lie on the spectrum, but honestly, it doesn't matter what I think. Uh -huh. And, um, and actually the more, the less judgment I go in with oh, it, please, please. On whether they're going to like quote unquote succeed or not yeah. is, is gives them more freedom, you know, to, to, to choose their own path mm. or continue on this. I mean, this is, this is a journey. It's not like I quit drinking and that's it. You know, I did it <laughs> on day one. No one so who does that. Has anybody yeah. ever done that? <laughs> well, it's called white knuckling. You can just stop drinking, not do anything about the reasons, and then for the next 25 years, sit in, in meetings or sit somewhere and be the grumpy old git um, who has never changed, who has never never altered. So white knuckling, literally. <laughs> I will not drink. I can do that. And, yeah. and, I, and I also, I never tell people that they can't ever drink. I mean, at some point I will say, you know, that I mean, I more than likely statistics show if you start drinking again, you're going to start, you're going to be drinking every night again. That's statistics. Um, but no one wants to hear that. They have to experience it themselves. True. And so what mm. I, my, my goal is, is to provide them with, Hey, you, you have experience. Now you have past experience of what, what your life looks like without drinking. You have these tools, you have these things to go to, but really what's the root cause? What's that, hmm. what's the, 
what's the root? What's holding you down from mm. really soaring and becoming who you are and who you were meant to be? Absolutely. And I think jumping fast forward, what both Camille and I are all about is living a life so beautiful, so full of joy, so full of, of any problem, uh, full of any problems, no, so full of so <laughs> right. full of solutions to the problems that come, that life is just beautiful. Yes, it will throw us punches, but we duck and weave because we've learned how to do that, or we take it on a gin because we've learned how to do that as well. So it is that kind of a life where you are so full of, of beautiful things that you don't need alcohol anymore, that you actually find alcohol rather interfering and, and, and a nuisance uh, because you're so bloody hungover the next day. Um, and instead, you actually want to live this beautiful life that is giving you all those positive feelings. Yeah. So that's where we want to be at. That is what we strive to. And it's a journey. Uh, Camille, you're so right. It's a journey. We, it's not just one destination, but it's actually uh, you set yourself goals. You strive to get the habits right that allow you to get closer to these goals. But it's a, it's a dynamic process. So you might right now work really hard on, on, on actually at your basics, on, on the nutrition, on the rehydration, on the sleep, etc. These are your biggest goals. And these should be your biggest goals because that's the foundation of everything you need. Once you, you, you develop this kind of safety and, and look after yourself, from there you can then build up towards more the spiritual side of things. So at one stage, you might actually start with the very basic foundation. And then you might develop more, more better things like like... Uh, like breathing exercises or meditation or mindfulness or 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 all the other techniques that allow you to live this full life and to deal with the obstacles and challenges that life throws you. So that's where we want to be. The problem is, at some stage, if you are if you're listening to this podcast, chances are that you're not yet over there, but you're somewhere in the middle. You know, and you might still be in this this gray zone. And when I was sort of joking, how do you recognize them? There's, I personally think that there are uh, things that that define you a little bit as a gray drinker. Um, one of the things is that we that we, for example, make jokes about it. Um, the the classic one is, um, what do you do with leftover wine? And the answer is. I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. What is leftover wine? Um, or you know, it is. Uh, it's somewhere beer o'clock. Uh, it's somewhere wine o'clock. It's. Uh, it's the fact that most of your friends drink. So when you go out, you will find that virtually everyone in your friendship circle drinks and drinks probably to the same level as you do. Because that's what we do as great drinkers, as high-functioning alcoholics. We surround ourselves with those people that are doing the same because we don't want to stand out. We, right. we know that probably two bottles of wine a day and then some is probably not a fright. So therefore, if we surround ourselves with other people who drink two bottles, maybe even three bottles of wine, hey, that makes us look good. Oh, that's yeah. great. It's all normalized. So, yeah. so these are the little things where I just need to sort of look at someone and think, yeah, yeah, uh, don't bullshit me. I know exactly what you are because 
I see myself. You are the mirror image of me seven years ago, eight years ago. Um, so no, and that's what I was referring to. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. No one likes to hear that, you know. No one likes to hear that. So, of course not. Of course not. Uh, but yeah. that's but that's the cool thing, guys. When you come into rehab, when you come into a, a, a structured approach where people actually are willing and able to help you to to recognize what is going on in your life, uh, there is a new freedom there waiting for you. And once you step a little bit back, you recognize suddenly what is happening within yourself, with your emotions, how your emotions drive your behavior, how your emotions drive your your frustrations and yeah. uh, all the negative things that then lead you to drink. So once you do all that and you change it and you become that different person, that much better person, and you then turn around and look at some of your friends who have not done that journey they are still in that gray area you recognize them from a mile away and that's that's what i'm referring to yes you will not like it when you're in that scenario and someone actually holds a mirror in front of your face and you think oh my god i don't like that because we don't like that we don't like pain we don't like that we want reward and we want it now and lots of it and that's why we're drinking yeah yep Absolutely. And the thing to touch on what you're saying about the friends, you know, you hang out with friends who maybe drink the same amount as you do. When you stop drinking, those friends tend to disappear and or changes. And I think that that to my dearest, dearest, dearest friends that I absolutely love. And when I see them, we live in different cities now. But when I do go back to the city to see them, uh, that it's changed. It's different. The dynamic's completely not there. And I do, I absolutely see myself in them. I was exactly where they are or where they were. Yeah. Where they are right now. And, um, yeah. And we just don't, we just, or on the phone, catching up on the phone and I'm like, all right, she's a bottle in. <laughs> yeah. Can but we you think, you think you're hiding. You think you're hiding yeah. it so well. No, as, oh. as I, I mean, no, I did not. <laughs> yeah. no, please, please, please. And it's, I, I made, honestly, if you think about it, if you, if you want a test to know if you are a great drinker, which means basically you're drinking probably a bit too much, and listen to the following words and see if you recognize yourself. When I was, I was this high-functioning alcoholic, I was a very, very busy man. I, in the morning, tried to hide that I was hungover. Then during the day, uh, I was sort of thinking about the alcohol and I was thinking uh, when I would buy it, how I would buy it. Then I would go out, buy the alcohol, but I would hide buying the alcohol. So I would go to different liquor stores, make sure that they don't recognize me too much. Um, then I would hide that I have the alcohol. Then I would hide that I drink. Then would hide that I'm actually drunk. Then I would pass out probably, and then it restarts like a bad version of Groundhog Day. Mm. Does this sound a bit familiar, guys? I was busy. I was so busy hiding. <laughs> but so if that is sort of triggering a bit of a bell and you, you quietly say, mm, okay, um, then maybe it's time to admit that, you know, there could be another life out there. 
there could be a life that's that is different where you don't need to hide anymore i think that was the coolest thing for me to actually stop hiding and stop lying to myself and stop stop the guilt and the shame and stop the embarrassment wow when that was all gone i didn't know what to do with myself and i think that is the, such a beautiful thing Mm. Do you yeah, and I think that when you're talking about that, so when you're looking at the gray area drinker, so maybe taking it down the scale a little bit, then it's actually how much time do you spend thinking about drinking? So you might not be hiding it. You might not be at that stage, but you're thinking about drinking all the time or you're recovering from drinking and really looking at that piece. You know, like the whole thing where you quit every night and start again every, you quit at, you know, quit every morning and you start again at every day at five o'clock and really looking at uh, what time of day do you think about, hey, is today the day I'm going to drink alcohol? Am I going to get to? And then you get that zing of dopamine, which is crazy that alcohol is one of the only substances that we can think about it and it can give us that dopamine rush. <laughs> so yep. when I quit drinking, my husband kept drinking uh... and I could tell when he wanted to go to a restaurant because they had good ta good beer on tap because of the way that his energy changed. It was fascinating. I was like, you wouldn't, and you know, he wouldn't admit it, but yeah. Oh, it is what it is. I mean, that is, yeah. that is what we are, isn't it? Your friends, uh, when you changed and when you personally made the choice of no longer drinking but then more importantly when you actually started developing yourself into a life coach into working with people that uh you felt could do with your help stopping drinking um what did your old friends say were there old friends that actually sought you out and tried to for you to help them so uh, one of my best friends, actually, two or three months after I quit drinking, quit drinking. And actually, just recently, um, she started drinking again after almost two years uh, with, you know, with COVID and her job that she had, I guess it just broke at some point. Um, she's in a different city than I. Uh, and then I've had friends that actually weren't BFFs, like they would have never known how much I drink, who when I say, because now I'm very vocal and a huge advocate for, hey guys, we don't need to numb ourselves out there with booze. They, people will come and they'll, they'll, they'll find me and then want to work with me or just have conversations. And I'm all about that. I love talking about all things boozy and non-boozy. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I've had people who more of were acquaintances or people I knew in my past lives who have come and, and, um, and, and found me because it's so common. And that's the thing about, about comparing ourselves to somebody else that might be better drink more than us or less than us. It doesn't actually matter because if you feel like crap, you feel like crap and you need, you deserve to feel good, you know? And like so that's, good. people are so undes undeserving of being happy because we're so used to, you know, not. <laughs> and then, you know, just reminding people that their birthright is to feel good. You know, the kids, the happy, playful, and mm. life's hard and ridiculous. And it's going to throw curveballs all the time, but we can do it. We're built to do it, you know, feel it. And um, that's the one thing that keeps me sober 
is the curiosity. I know what two decades of drinking looks like. I don't know. I'm three years into not drinking. So May was three years. And, um, and I'm still so curious as what, how I open up and develop and evolve more and more. And then the people I meet, like you, Stephen, my husband is growing in a really expansive way. My relationship with my kids, the, um, yeah, I mean, the, the shoes that I wore for years and years no longer fit my feet. And I don't even like the style anymore. <laughs> and that's so cool that I can reinvent who I am. Or no, that's not true. I can get to know who I really am again. Ooh, nice, 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 nice. See, uh, and that's that's maybe a sign that you're a great drinker. And that's, for me, maybe a sign that I really was one step further. Yeah. My reality was that I... That... I couldn't even tell you who I was when I stopped drinking and I went into rehab and I started working on my emotions. I came out pretty much an, an empty shell. I felt empty and it was a bizarre, bizarre lack of emotions because my emotions were constantly driven by the alcohol or modified by the alcohol or numbed by the alcohol. So suddenly to have that no longer there and to have some significant changes in my own life there, uh, it was the most bizarre thing. And I had to reinvent myself and actually try to figure out who am I or who do I want to be? Because I couldn't answer you, who am I? There was, there was no one in me. I had defined myself as a doctor and I had defined myself as a person under the influence of alcohol. Um, and once you alter that balance, wow, this was, this was weird. But then again, as far as I see it, I started with an empty slate. I started with an empty canvas on which I could paint whatever I wanted. I started with a big, huge amount of marble just there in one block. And I could make whatever I want to do, whatever statue I wanted to create. And that was actually a really powerful thing. And it is, I, I, I find it with a lot of guests that are bring onto my show that they come at some stage, they come to a point where they are empty, where they know that the life that they have lived so far it's impossible to continue. For example, I had a, a soldier recently who was who was defining himself as the, the as the, the hardcore infantry soldier that he was. And then he was on the receiving end of some bullets, and suddenly his life ended. The life that he knew ended. So he had to reinvent himself, and it took him years and years and years. And his main message was. Be open to anything out there in the universe because you don't know who the real you is, who the real you in a year or in two years will be. You know who you were 10 years ago. You know well, sort of what you are now, but you have no way of knowing what, yeah. what waits for you. And it is the most, the craziest things might be what really triggers your fancy. I mean, he became a comedian 
Uh, and he loved that, that aspect of himself. And if I would have told him that uh, in 2004, prior to his injury, he would have probably thought, yeah. um, but here you are. So this is a, a huge chance. So for you guys to say, well, okay, as you, as you said it, Camille, you know what 20 years of Camille version 1.0 looked like, and you're now stopping and reinventing yourself, or as you said, you you try to find yourself. Um, well, that's the version 2.0 and 3.0 waiting to be discovered. How cool is that? Hey. Yeah, I love that. That's so beautiful. And I love looking at the difference between gray area drinking and talk to somebody who's on who is at the other end of the spectrum, because I rarely have those discussions. I mean, I know people like that in my life, very close to, but having that comparison is interesting. Like what we talked about with you saying that you were hiding it. And I was like, well, the step before that is thinking about it constantly, maybe not hiding it. And, um, and then realizing the shell, because there was a shell, there was a, a, there was something desperately missing. And, um, and although I did all the moderation stuff, right, that we all do, but when, and that's the other thing to look at when you're a gray area drinker, <laughs> you try to moderate, you know, you do all the things, you drink the clear, the clear liquors and not the brown liquors, you drink the rosé or the expensive wine, so you're not drinking out of the box, or you go to the box, so you don't know, I mean, it's the things that we, you know, we try to moderate and tell us, you know, do the, I'm sure you guys recognize that within you, how the moderation happened. But then what happened was, so I did that. And then for two years, so I, I like to say that this, your day one is the day that you listen to your first podcast, that you pick up that first book, that you have a conversation with a friend and say, I think that I might have a problem with my drinking. That is your day one. That's when the journey begins. And then what you're doing is you're gaining knowledge. You're gaining power. You're gaining changing your subconscious beliefs around alcohol for so I did that you know for probably all my life but really the two years strong and then I was 40 on a boat in British Virgin Islands with my best friends the sparkling ocean around uh you know little houses uh decorating the islands and I was hung over and I was just like this is it and then I came home and drank for another week, and then I quit drinking. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, yeah, if, if I, oh, God, I don't even want to go there in my mind to think how many days I've wasted being hungover, how many beautiful experiences I've wasted being hungover, many Christmases uh, when, when it came to unpacking the gifts with the children. Uh, I was hungover as hell from the night before, things like that. Ah, so you really, I really have to say yes. Mm. I still recognize myself in these words. And if the same if is for you guys out there, then, then just accept that this is what happens. This is, this is where you are at right now. There is no need to be feeling guilty, embarrassed, or ashamed. Just take stock that this is where you are right now. And there are damn good reasons why you have been drinking. There are damn good reasons why you may wish to continue to drink. Mm -hmm. 
but it is uh, this is a journey and this is a journey where you may find soon ways of exploring why you drink and what is what is driving you and maybe do something about these things so uh, Camille, I love I love your your approach that you don't necessarily focus on the alcohol. You focus on what a life could be, and I think that is a beautiful, beautiful approach. And many actually recovery approaches work along these lines, rather than than starting with I'm an alcoholic. They start with I see myself as this beautiful, magnificent being down the line and I'm just not yet there so you focus on the beauty rather focus then on the negative things and there's there's room for both I think there are times when you need to be brutally honest with you and that's what you do in a 12-step program that's where you come in in step four where you draw down the tables where you put down the, the the things on paper where you actually write down your resentments your fear your anger you write down everything and then figure out, okay, so these are your emotions, these are your reactions. Why are they? So I'm really pissed off with Paul because Paul um, stole some money from me. And then, and that's how it made me feel. Okay, well, that's cool. So this might be one example. And then once you have written sort of lists of all that down, then you work on other things. Then you come back to that list and say, well, okay, so fair enough. So there are certain things there where resentment is probably quite right. Paul stole money from you. But there might be the next line down. There might be Mary. I'm really pissed off with her because she made me feel so bad uh, during that and that row. Now, when you look a bit closer to that or onto that row, that row was all about you drinking. And she actually was telling you how much she loves you and how much she really wanted you to stop drinking. And so the resentment was there and you were really pissed off that she told you that you should stop drinking. But there might actually be here a component where you are part of the problem. And that's where, I guess, where, where the hard work comes in. Whilst you can strive towards this beautiful new version of you, which you should and which you must do, there is ballast in the back. There is sort of emotional baggage that you need to deal with, that you need to look at and get rid of that baggage. And the only time, the only way you can get rid of it is, is by dealing with it. Because if you just try to bury it somewhere in the back of your mind, it will come out like a festering bit of pus in your body. It will come out. So therefore, I like both approaches. Uh, I, I see virtue in both of them, and there will be different stages in your recovery where both of them are necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I love you said this a couple of times in this interview about being and who do you want to be. And I love that. It's not what do I want to be when I grow up? It's who do I want to be and really create this very, very visual idea of what that person is, that future you. And then as you work more towards that, you're always saying, is that what my future self would be doing? 
And, um, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm three years into not drinking. When I was my first six weeks, I was under the covers. I slept. I always tell people that that's your superpower. Like, I'm so tired. Why am I so tired? I'm like, use it. Like, it's your body's protective mechanism. Use it. Sleep. Because you're, if, you're if you're sleeping, you're not drinking. <laughs> like, it's good. And then, and then after that, like, I went, my first thing I said, I'm going to do 100 days without drinking. Six weeks in is where I came out of hibernating. I was like, whoa, wait, this world. And then, and then that's where the true, uh, you know, the true train. I didn't do, I was a yogi. I did breath work. I ran marathon. I stopped doing all of that. I stopped the alcohol diet. I said, the only thing I'm going to quit is alcohol and I'm going to eat crap and I'm not going to exercise. And I'm not, and I did all of that for, you know, that for three months, I didn't try to do anything else except for not drink. And then after that, then you build and then you can add on, like you were saying, then you can layer it and then you can get to the spirituality after you've taken care of safety, then you can start, uh, it, then it starts evolving and unfolding. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I love how you keep saying that, that being, and then, and then of course we have to look at things that are really, um, you know, the, those things that really um, have hurt us and also recognize that everyone has 100% responsibility. You know, when I hurt your feelings, I have 100% responsibility for that, and so do you. Mm. <laughs> so, you know. It takes two to tangos, yes, so right. Let me, let me alter our, our, our dialogue a little bit here, because earlier on, there was a moment when you were phrasing it in, in a wonderful way, um, how the environment, plays a role and I'm, I'm talking a bit around the subject I might as well come to it right now ultimately we are fighting a trillion dollar industry that want to us to drink it is only because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they are not out there to get you okay so when we're talking about alcohol when we're talking about the reasons why you're drinking there is a huge amount of manipulation going on. Most of us don't recognize that. You might have heard about the, the subliminal uh, things that, that people tried in advertising in the 80s, where they did in every every 24th frame in, in the pictures, uh, they would put a, a, a picture of McDonald's or of Coca-Cola or whatever in there. And then the end result was a 30% increase of sales of McDonald's or of, of whatever it was afterwards, after you left it, the pictures. Now, people found out about that and got really pissed off with that. So the advertising industry got a little bit more clever. Nowadays, you would say, come on, uh, we, we, we are so knowledgeable that there is no way that anyone can manipulate us. We would see it a mile away <laughs> about that. Um, if you watch Netflix... What do you think? How often do you see someone drinking alcohol or using alcohol or having alcohol in the hand? Every minute. <laughs> so it depends on what you watch, but on average, every three minutes that someone is actually using alcohol. And we know that officially there is no alcohol advertisement allowed uh, in, in, uh, certain, in, in certain television um, 
series or, or in general in television. The reality is that it seems to be, if you analyze really the drinking behaviors of the heroes on Netflix and uh, of other, other production companies, there seems to be a certain tendency. So for example, one group such as Netflix might enjoy one particular whiskey rather a lot. And it doesn't matter which part, which series on Netflix you watch, they might like a certain amount of drink or a certain type of drink surprisingly lot. And then you look at, at others, at other production companies, and funnily, oh, there's no whiskey to be seen, but they all like a particular beer. Funny that is. And you sort of, you then realize when, when you look at uh, the Institute of Alcohol Studies in the UK, for example, who are looking specifically at the advertising, etc. You see how powerful and 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 I want to say evil entity we are fighting against. But it's not evil. Their their mission is to make money, and they're really very good in it. They just don't care that that you end up with a with needing a liver transplant down the line uh, because that's your problem. You are obviously a not a responsible drinker. So just that sheer concept of if you were a responsible drinker, so putting the onus on you, making blaming you, uh, like in a in a in a toxic relationship, you are the problem. You, I mean, we. Are, this is a beautiful product here. It's it, you just can't handle it. Um, all that shit is happening out there. So if you take the ten. Uh, biggest producers of alcohol and look at their net worth, they would be together uh, on, a, on a ranking level like the 58th country in the world from, uh, from a money point of view. You're talking huge amounts of money in the liquor industry. And they spend, they're quite happy to spend that amount in in advertising, and when I say advertising, not the classic advertising, no, the, the quiet, changing your perception. Mm. There is a, I put an example into my book, uh, which is called The Heroin-Free Wedding. And I've put it as an, as an example of a, young, uh, of a young woman talking to her mum and said, look, mummy, you know, my wedding is coming up. Can we talk wedding? And mom says, yeah, let's talk wedding. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Mommy, I've decided I want to have a heroin-free wedding. And mom just loses it. Oh, my God. Why do you say that? Have you, have you, started, have you started using? Don't you know that there are 18,000 beautiful souls losing their life with our heroin epidemic every year in the United States? Are you nuts? And the daughter says, oh, I'm so pleased that you're, that you're thinking like that. I'm so pleased. And no, no, I'm not, I'm not using heroin. And I'm so pleased. And the both of them give each other a big hug. And then the, the, the daughter says, and now since we're on the topic, I actually thought we also do an alcohol-free wedding. And the mom loses it and says, you're kidding me. You can't do that. You can't do that. Of course, we have to serve alcohol. Okay. So this is the reality. We have been brainwashed to the nth degree. And it is absolutely normal for you, mummy. Come on. Oh, God, the kids come home at three. You better have two glasses of wine. 
because that makes you so much better, so much more prepared, so much more relaxed. You have deserved it. Remember, you have deserved it. Mm -hmm. Again yeah. and again. Yeah, the, the mommy juice, right? It's interesting because the alcohol industry doesn't even have to advertise. We do it for them. <laughs> we do it for them on social media. You know, we are we are the ones, you know, cheersing our, our drinks. And enduring uh, this, this pandemic that we're going through, you see, you know, the, the Zoom meetings with everybody with their cheer, you know, cheersing their wine. You're missing out. This is what we get to do now. We get to drink in our jammies all day. And, um, and, and we're norm we've normalized it for the industry. But you're absolutely right. They, they, it's a huge money production. In the 80s, they started marketing towards women because they recognized that there was this huge mass pop, you know, population of people that they're not touching. So they created those alcohol pops, um, you know, like Zima or whatever the equivalent. I don't know if you guys had Zima. But these, um, so so then women got into this the, to drinking alcohol more, and then now you, if you go to the grocery store or a bottle shop, um, you see uh, all of these wines, these these labels that are advertised towards women, pink with beautiful lettering and um, Pinkif pinkification. And, it's called. Yeah, <laughs> it's nuts. Absolutely. And this is interesting because remember when I was talking about that six weeks of hibernation and then I woke up and then I started saying like, wait, wait, what's going on? Oh, and then learning. And then I said, oh, what you're selling this to me. It was like, what is exactly what happened when I found out about sugar and and um, and what they put in like sodas and in, in chips. And I was like, oh, they're produced in a lab. So then I'll eat more. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now I'm, now I'm on to you. And so once I started really getting there, like you're trying to keep me numb. You're trying to keep me addicted. You're trying to keep me at status quo. No, we're more than that. We're better than that, you know, as humans. And at the moment, we are talking pretty much sort of uh, probably about the problems of 40s, 50s year old maybe maybe mid 30s so that's that the next generation that is coming through though they are far more weary about the calories uh, about the carbs uh, everything is keto everything is weight loss it's perfect perfect figure etc and that's a problem for the alcohol industry so you have got now what can they do you guys know the answer Come on, guys, if you wanted to create now a new trend, what would you do? Could you create an alcohol that has no calories? No, because alcohol itself is hugely caloric, but we don't want to tell that anyone. Okay, so shh. But could we take the carbs out? Oh, yeah. And you know how easy that is? It makes it cheaper. You just take water, you carbonate it, so a bit of carbon dioxide in there. Then you put some flavors in there, and then you put alcohol in there. That's cool. It's called alcohol seltzer or hard seltzers. And that's at the moment going up in their costs because it's cool. You can go for your run and then don't forget, uh, forget about the carbs. There's no, 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 no. You can stay slim, have your hard seltzer. And you think, what? What? Who would be stupid enough to buy that? Well, the prices are going, not the prices, the sales are going. 
and it is perfect manipulation of the masses. Guys, but no one tells you that. And unless you look out for that information, you, it's all subconscious where you're getting manipulated. And it's amazing. It's amazing. God. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's interesting because remember the, the gray area drinker with moderation, that is one that I've heard a lot recently is I'm just drinking hard cider because hard sparkling the seltzer, the yeah. seltzer. And, um, and that was, you know, now I'm like, now, now I'm at that stage where I'm like, that was a, that's out of, that wasn't in fad when I was drinking, which is the weirdest thing to ever say. Um, because they say it's less alcohol, like, um, uh, percent alcohol. It's 5%. I was like, that's not nothing. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, what are you talking about? That's an alcohol beer. I think that lager beer is 5%. That's correct. (laughs) That's the same. It's the same. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you were sold that this is less that this is less alcohol percent uh, than, than a regular drink. I'm like, anyway, uh, it is. That's uh, so interesting. It's absolutely so, out there. So, guys, I guess uh, to a certain degree, I've given you a little bit of an excuse here, um, and just take it for what it is. It is an excuse because it, we are being manipulated. And you are being manipulated. This is all about sales. It's all about money. And you have been let down the garden path uh, in all the wrong ways when it comes to the, the way your own perceptions are being managed by the alcohol industry. You were taught that you're going to be sexy, going to be suave when you have that drink in your hand. Turns out when you actually slubber and vomit over yourself, you tend not to be as suave, okay? Just just pointing that out to you. But bottom line is, it is, yes, it is what it is. Accept it for what it is. You, you're, you're fighting against a huge trillion dollar industry. But coming back to where we want to be, and the question really is, who do you want to be? Are you really happy where you are right now? Are you really happy in in your life? And if yes, brilliant. I'm pleased for you. I really, really am. Um, if this is an honest, an honest feeling that you have, but the sheer fact that you're listening to that podcast makes me wonder if your honest feeling is really so honest. So I think it is. Um, it we all can improve. Some of us can improve a lot. <laughs> and there was a time in my life when it could only go up. <laughs> there was no more down. There was no more, no more below. There was no button lower to press. <laughs> I was there. Uh, and, but then again, if I see now where I am as, wow, I've got, I've got four years on you, Camille. I'm, I'm seven years. 2,334 days. Not that I'm counting. Um, <laughs> and it's the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful feeling that I possibly could have. So, guys, I mean, just look at that cheesy grin here, okay? And look at me. If I can do it, come on, <laughs> you have got a fair chance. <laughs> so, guys, you you just need to get out there and and just recognize that maybe, yes, okay, you might not be drinking that much. But there's a damn good chance that that you could do better and that there is a different life waiting for you. Camille, if if people sort of recognize themselves, 
in in this podcast and think, oh wow, um, actually, um, yeah. Uh, how can they get hold of you? How can they work with you if they wanted to do so? Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for asking. Um, so I have uh, a program called Think Beyond the Drink. Think beyond the drink. So now I think maybe listening to me and what I've said is that you understand that it's really not even about the beverage at all. It's about what's beyond it. And so that's, yeah, thinkbeyondthedrink.com or, uh, you know, so interesting. I don't even know if I have a contact link on that website. <laughs> <laughs> we need to change that, don't we? <laughs> I know I do. Or, or Instagram, think beyond the drink and yeah. on Instagram. And you can message me through there for sure. And oh. I do one-on-one -on -one, and then four times a year, small containers. Um, of women who are ready to investigate their relationship with alcohol and they um, in a really fun, beautiful 60-day program. Which is beautiful. And that's what you need. You need the time, guys. You can't just listen to one podcast and then the world is beautiful and everything will change. This is a journey and the journey is gorgeous. Um, and take your time on this journey because it's not a destination. It is truly a journey. So, yes. So, Camille, I'm so grateful, so grateful that today you, you explored the, the gray area drinking with me, which is such a huge area. So many millions and millions of people out there. And I hope that the, those of you who are joining us today uh, or in the future listening to this, to this video or to this podcast, that you take it to heart sleep on it, and then maybe look around. What is the, the first step that you can do, that you can take to make yourself a better person? And with that, I don't mean it in, in, in any kind of um, corny way. I just mean a person that you look in the mirror and get a smile on your face. And this kind of, did I do that? Am I that person? And you get this Cheshire smile grin there. And that's beautiful. It is. And it's waiting for you out there. It takes a little work. Okay. I give you that. But it's waiting. So, you know, give Camille a ring. Um, make an appointment for a one-on-one. -on -one and just actually share some thoughts. And this might be as, as a great first step. And and if it is not yet there, if, if at the moment you're not yet at that point, that's cool. Uh, the sheer fact that you listened to the end of this podcast means that we've planted a seed. Hey, who knows when the water is coming and the seed suddenly bursts out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's waiting for you out there, this, this beautiful life. Camille, again, to you, thank you so much for, for coming on to my show. It was an absolute honor and a pleasure. Thank you very much. And I just want to say one last thing is always choose you. Every morning you wake up, just remember to choose you. And what a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Guys, look after yourself. Life is the short. Bye.